My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. When we talk about the housing crisis, we tend to break things down pretty simply. There are a group of people who live in homes. Those are houses or apartments owned or rented, shared or alone, but places that they call homes and hopefully feel like home. Then there are people in the system who are living in shelters or hoping to, living in government-funded dwellings, sometimes semi-permanently, but often on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. And then there are people who are on the street, unhoused, sleeping on public transit or in whatever shelter they can make for themselves, in encampments, in parks across the country. These are the visible faces of the housing crisis. But there's another category most of us don't see. The people clawing at the fringes of being housed, scraping for whatever room they can find and afford, without the luxury to care if that room is safe or unsafe, legal or illegal, just that it's a room and a roof. These people live in rooming houses, often in illegal rooming houses, and they are vulnerable to absentee or exploitative landlords, to the unsafe conditions in the homes themselves, to overcrowding, to the prejudices of the neighbors and the neighborhood and the police, vulnerable to whatever happens, really, because there's usually only one place to go when you live in a rooming house and something goes wrong, and it's not into a nice home. In the middle of this crisis, with illegal rooming houses in the city impossible to count, Toronto wants to make it easier to turn a home into a rooming house, into a safe, legal one. The question is, will this solve the problem or make it worse? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Pat Taney is a City News reporter and documentary producer. Hello, Pat. Hello, Jordan. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. I'm glad uh, we could talk about this because uh, we're going to get into one particular address, but it's also emblematic of something I think uh, most big cities and anywhere struggling with the housing crisis is facing. Yes, for sure. A very hot button issue today uh, because there's some changes in the pipeline. But as you know, rooming houses have been uh, a hot button issues for decades here in, in Toronto and beyond. So for those who don't know Toronto specifically, or even for those who don't know the area we're going to talk about, maybe just take us to 75 Don Valley Drive. Where is it? Uh, what is the house in question? Just kind of set the scene for us. For sure. So Don Valley Drive, where this home is located, uh, it's a dead-end street in East York. 
uh, sandwiched between Broadview Avenue and, uh, of course, Don Valley Parkway, a major thoroughfare that that cuts through the city north and south. And residents who live there really call it a little enclave uh, that most people don't know about, being a dead-end street. It's a small street with a very big sense of community. So residents take pride in their properties, yards, uh, and for the most part, really, really enjoy living there with the exception of of one neighboring home, which uh, takes us to 75 Don Valley Drive. Uh, it's just a three-bedroom bungalow-style house. It's located on a corner lot. And, and it really, Jordan, stands out amongst the row of these well-maintained homes I just explained. The, the exterior is worn, the yard's not maintained, full of garbage, pests, uh, and it has been operating as an illegal rooming house or multi-tenant home since at least 2019, uh, around the time when it was purchased from the previous owner. By the way, that previous owner, according to residents who live there, really took pride in the yard, had the best yard uh, in the neighborhood, uh, according to residents, but things changed once the uh, the ownership changed. And it's illegal because under existing city bylaws, rooming houses like this one are not permitted in East York. They are allowed in most of Toronto. They have to be licensed, but uh, certain pockets of Toronto, uh, like the the old city of East York, uh, North York and Scarborough, rooming houses are not legally allowed to, to operate. We're going to get into the legalities, the changes coming to rooming houses, the necessity maybe uh, of them at this point in the housing crisis. But first, this home in particular, you know, beyond uh, neighbors not liking the state of the lawn, like that's one thing. But what else has been going on? And try to give us a sense. You mentioned it's a three-bedroom. Like how many people are living there? What's it like inside? So, yeah, three-bedroom house that has about seven to eight tenants at any time living inside the house. I did not go in this particular home, but I, I did speak with tenants who who have been inside the house. They, they describe it as being not very well-maintained. Uh, they've had numerous complaints about the, the state of the home in, in regards to upkeep, uh, meeting, fire, and, and other safety codes. And, you know, the, the big issue for residents in this area, the neighbor, the neighbors who, who call this street home, are the constant police and ambulance calls to the home over the years, creating what residents fear has really been an unsafe environment. And those fears, Jordan, really hit a climax on, on February 1st. Yeah. So take us there. What happened? So on the night of February 1st, a 50-year-old man was inside the home. It's still unclear at this point if he was a tenant or a visitor but he was stabbed multiple times by another man. Uh, the victim rushed to hospital uh, with life-threatening conditions. A suspect took off but was later arrested a, a couple of days later. It, I, I did not go to cover the stabbing, but my colleague, photojournalist Dan Barry, who I work with, did. He happened to be working a night shift. Uh, while on the scene, um, and after the you know police press conference wrapped up, a neighbor came up to him and said, look, you know, you guys really need to dig deeper and, and look into this home. We've been complaining about this house for years. It's operating as an illegal rooming house. It's been a major source of problems. Uh, and these residents really shared numerous correspondence they've had with city officials over the years, begging them uh, to get something done about this place. What has the city said uh, about this illegal rooming house? So it's really interesting. Um, you know, again, these complaints date back to 2019. Residents say nothing's been done. 
then in May of 2023, and I've covered a lot of stories where residents are complaining, whether it be a not in my backyard situation, property standards, so on and so forth. But rarely do I hear this. So residents in May of 2023 get this letter from Peter Hardesty's, the manager of the Specialized Enforcement Resolution Team. They basically inspect multi-tenant housing for the city's municipal licensing and standards department. So he sends out this rare letter of apology in which he states, hey, I'm sorry. You know what? We dropped the ball here. Hmm. He wrote officers from his team have been, uh, in fact, responding to this home over the years, but in his words, failed to take strong enough action. So in this letter, he promises, look, I'm going to lead the charge to go after the homeowner. And the city did. So right after that letter was received, a notice of violation was issued for zoning, in order to comply, issued for property standards, in order to comply, issued for pests. Uh, and according to city staff, the property owner still has not addressed the orders. Uh, and in July, so a couple of months after all of that was issued to the to the property owner without a response, the city laid a charge for zoning and, and that issue is now before the courts. So I want to be a little bit clear here that we're talking about all the issues uh, with this house and others like it. And we're not trying to focus on or demonize the people who live in these homes. Tell us about them. Uh, who are they? And like, how do they end up here? What do they pay and what do they get for that money? So it's it's interesting. And, and I do want to point out, it, it does sound like the residents are, oh, you know, we hate ruling houses. We want these people kicked out. Not the case at all. The residents were very upfront about saying, look, rooming houses are a necessity in a city where, you know, rents are unaffordable. They understand that. Their issue is with the property owner and how the property owner ha has run this. So, you know, we wanted to do a little bit more digging. We had found out that the owner of this particular home owns another rooming house right around the corner, again, in East York, where, again, under existing bylaws is not allowed. So we went and knocked on the door, and, you know, we were met with some protest from the the residents who initially answered the door saying, we don't want to talk, we don't want to, you know, expose this home, uh, everything's, you know, up to par. But then when we were speaking with them, another gentleman came down, his name is Frank. And Frank uh, lives in this Broadview home, again, around the corner from, from the Don Valley home in question here. Uh, he lives in a room, measures just over 100 square feet, shares a kitchen, bathroom. He pays $980 a month. And, you know, he first addressed the stabbing before getting into the details of how these rooming houses are operated. And, you know, he was contacted by the landlord immediately after the stabbing. And she said, look, I need someone to go clean up the blood. Now, Frank is not a cleaning professional, but like many people in these rooming houses, he's on a fixed income, he's on government assistance, and will do whatever he can to make a buck here and there. So he tries to, you know, offer his services for $200. She negotiates him down to $150. You know, he later finds out the stabbing victim may have some form of hepatitis. So he goes out and buys the gown and the gloves and, and, and performs the cleaning because he needed the money. So that brings us to Frank, and that brings us to the stories of the other people who live in these homes. You know, Frank, he said, look, I have major complaints about safety and health standards. He, he took us on a tour of the home. He pointed out, you know, things that don't meet fire code or electrical code or other proper standards that most rental units are held up against when it comes to, to renting to tenants. But he said he doesn't speak out publicly because he doesn't know where to go. He knows, A, 
He's living in a rooming house that is illegal, and he does not want to raise alarm bells with city officials because he fears they'll come in and shut it down and he'll be on the streets. Again, on government assistance, on a fixed income, 980 sounds like a lot for what he's living in, and it's not much. However, we did comparisons in that neighborhood. Uh, the closest thing we could find is a bachelor apartment in what would be considered a well-maintained apartment building. The price tag is two grand a month, something he can't afford. So is he happy there? No, he's not happy there. Are there issues with the home? Is he concerned about his safety? Yes, he's concerned about his safety. But with all the bad there that he's, you know, painting this picture of the landlord, he says she is one of a few who will actually rent to people in my position. Uh, I cannot find, and I have tried, he said, uh, multiple ways to, to find more quote-unquote traditional housing, but I've been unable to because of the situation I'm in. Landlords just simply will not rent to him. So it's either rooming house or he's on the streets. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. What kind of exploitation uh, does that make someone like Frank vulnerable to? Do we have a sense uh, of the scale? Because the two you mentioned are both illegal. They're not the only ones. I live, um, for people that know Toronto, near Coxwell and Girard. there was a fire at what was reported to be a rooming house in my neighborhood recently. Um, somebody died because they were caught in a place with no exits in the house. What is the issue here beyond the one home we're discussing today? So the issue is, and, and this has long been, you know, part of the discussion over the years in Toronto, is how do we regulate, correctly regulate these rooming houses to ensure they are safe for tenants who call them home and not a nuisance to the neighbors who live nearby. So really, the issue, if you ask anyone involved in this, comes to holding property owners accountable. And the city has been working on this. In December of 2022, uh, after a major push by former Mayor John Tory, City Council voted to adopt this massive overhaul of zoning bylaws concerning rooming houses. And the big headline from this really is rooming houses will now be allowed citywide. So they've expanded the map. So we just spoke about these two rooming houses operating illegally in East York. Would the landlord get a license? I don't know because there's not that opportunity for her to do so at this juncture. But this new change, which goes into effect next month, will allow rooming houses to operate across the entire city map. So no longer will they be outlawed in pockets like East York. But Property owners must meet a new list of licensing requirements, sweeping changes, including in areas they are allowed now. And the hope behind this is it will address uh, concerns from tenants like Frank and concerns from neighbors like those on Don Valley Drive. And those requirements will work to ensure the properties meet, uh, you know, the things we talked about, building, fire, and electrical codes, among other things. Right. Forcing owners to come up with a communication plan on how they're going to address tenant concerns. So Frank will now you know, provided he's in a licensed rooming house, 
will have uh, someone to reach out to and, you know, to the landlord, they must come up with a communication plan where, hey, a tenant has a concern. This is what I'm going to do to correct it. And if that doesn't happen, he'll be able to reach out to, to city officials. The city's also going to beef up the number of inspections officers to ensure compliance. And also, this will create a special rooming house tribunal. The new bylaws set the maximum number of rooms allowed in certain areas really depends on where the building or home is located. Uh, for instance, in the former cities of Etobicoke, North York, and Scarborough, the maximum number of rooms permitted will be six. In Toronto, the maximum number can be anywhere from six to 25. Really all depends on the zoning map and whether the, the areas are, are really considered low or high density. It's good that the people uh, near 75 Don Valley Drive made clear to you that, you know, it's not an issue with the rooming house itself. Um, it's an issue with the owner. That won't always be the case. There will be a lot of nimbyism around uh, potential rooming houses in neighborhoods that have traditionally not had them. What do the new bylaws say about that? So if you meet the requirements, your home is in the right zone, under what we've read so far, more details are going to come out, quote unquote, this spring, <laughs> you know, which they hit the books March 31st, so they better come out quick. But there will be more guidelines on, as to whether there's going to be public meetings, whether, you know, property owners are going to be given grants to retrofit these homes to, to ensure they comply. But the city's goal here is to not decrease the supply of rooming houses. Their goal is to increase the supply of rooming houses. So mm -hmm. from what I have read thus far in terms of what's been laid out, no, there's not going to be, uh, you know, public hearings. If the home can fit, if the property owner meets the, the proper requirements, then they are allowed to, to operate a rooming house. When we talk about the housing crisis, we often speak about, you know, people who are unhoused, people who are living in shelters or encampments, and then we talk about people with homes. Does that accurately cover, that dichotomy accurately cover people like Frank and people who need these kind of uh, rooming houses and are willing to take whatever they can get? So, you know, love them or hate them, I think everyone will agree that we are facing an extraordinary uh, crisis when it comes to finding affordable homes. And oftentimes, if you speak with tenant advocates, it's the tenants who kind of fall through the cracks. You know, we're more concerned about what will the neighbors think? And, you know, ha have we been too lenient on, on property owners? But really, it comes down to what about the tenants like Frank? You know, how are we going to make sure, A, the supply is there for them to live in these homes uh, that are needed? So everyone agrees they're needed. Everyone agrees they're a critical supply of affordable housing. So how, and, and I think this is the, the city, what the city's trying to do here, at least the hope behind this is, you know, the good intentions here is that we are allowing, you know, the ability for us to legalize more rooming houses, thus increasing the supply for people like Frank who cannot afford traditional housing. When I say traditional, you know, the normal apartment or renting a condo, like uh, many of us who are fortunate enough to be able to do, you know, and, and they feel this is the best shot to, to try and, and make that happen. And, and whether or not it works, like yeah, everything else, time will tell. But, um, you know, I think neighbors and tenants and tenant advocates are in agreement that this is the right step to try and, and solve this longstanding issue. How important will 
the resources and time and responsiveness dedicated to enforcement of standards be? Because, uh, you know, as you mentioned with 75 Don Valley Drive, right, it's not like the city didn't know about this. I think we should look at what tenant advocates think about this because it's really a mixed bag for them uh, because your point Yes. So they're going to license all of these rooming houses, right? And they're going to step up enforcement as they've promised. So the city is going to beef up these special teams that go and, and, you know, inspect these homes, ensure they're safe for tenants. But are they going to just look at licensed rooming houses? So if you have a license, I'm going to be, you know, subject to yearly inspections and they're going to come in and check. But what about, as you mentioned, the illegal rooming houses? They're operating under the radar. We have no idea. Even city staff can't tell us how many illegal rooming houses there are uh, in in Toronto because they're they're operating under the radar. So there's no way to measure that. So will they be going after those homes? Right. And that's uh, the concern tenant advocates have. This is a great you know, this is a, a great plan on paper, but what are we going to do to ensure all of these rooming houses and not have these blinders on, assuming that the only rooming houses that are operating are playing by the books and, and actually licensed? I don't think we have an answer today out there. We asked city staff about that. Uh, we haven't gotten a clear answer. Again, keep telling us more details on this plan will be uh, released in, in the coming weeks. Tenant advocates also have a lot of other concerns about this. And this is interesting. While the intent I mentioned from city council when this all was unleashed was to increase the supply of rooming houses, tenant advocates say this is actually, this could potentially decrease the supply. So we spoke with Melissa Goldstein. She's a tenant advocate, focuses on rooming houses. She worries these new licensing requirements are going to scare a lot of landlords the look at the improvements and renovations required as being too burdensome, uh, too costly, and they're going to choose to get out of the ballgame altogether by selling their homes, which Goldstein worries will leave a lot of these tenants who depend on these homes as their last option for housing out on the streets. In response, because we pushed the city on this, staff say they are working with property owners, providing support, which they say will help property owners retrofit their homes to make sure they you know, meet all the codes, and they're willing to help in terms of will that help be grants for property owners to, to help them retrofit their home? Yet to be announced again, told again those details uh, coming this spring. The city has also been holding several public information meetings for both tenants, but mainly property owners to, to walk them through the process. But that concern from tenant advocates, you know, they feel as though this, and they call it the licensing regime, is going to go after already licensed, you know, rooming houses, scaring them out of the business and and therefore, you know, in the end, decreasing supply. So that's their, their big concern right now with this new bylaw. The city did, does in this plan, um, you know, say we're never going to kick tenants out of a home unless, you know, they come in and find major safety violations where these tenants, you know, their lives are at risk. And if that's the case under this new plan, the city says they will, you know, work to rehouse these tenants as well. So that that is part of the plan, to be fair to the city, is, you know, if they do come in and they have to shut down a home, uh, they're going to ensure the tenants find alternative housing. Where that alternative housing may be, I, I don't know. 
Pat, thank you for this. It's a real complicated problem. And like I said off the top, a shadowy part of the housing crisis that that doesn't get as much press as maybe it should. Yes, absolutely. And thanks for the time, Jordan. I appreciate it. Pat Taney reporting for City News. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. And if you have feedback for us, as you now know, we may play it on one of our feedback episodes, especially if you leave us a voicemail. We hope you loved the one we did on Monday. We had a lot of fun making it. We've gotten even more feedback, as I said, to our lead producer, Joe. Feedback begets feedback. And uh, we are here for all of that. We'd love to hear from you, positive, negative, or indifferent. It's always fun to get an indifferent email from someone who clearly took the time to send it. If you want to do that, the way to do it is hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca or leave a voicemail by calling 416-935-5935. Thanks for listening and your feedback. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.